The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by 101 Drums. 101 Drums is a Swedish company that specializes in making drum shells and snare drums out of a specially treated wood fiber material that is very lightweight and weather resistant, but also produces a big, robust sound. We will be reviewing a 5.5 by 14 snare later in the episode, but they also offer 4.5 and 6 and 6.5 and, and 7 and 8 inch depths with various diameters. They're also, uh, you can order with your own custom logo on the finish or you can get your own custom badge all kinds of cool stuff so go to 101drums.com for more and for now let's get to the episode Oh, podcast family, I'm going to have to ask for your patience on this one. I was all over the map during episode 139. That being said, Mike and I did have a ton of fun making this episode. So after we get all caught up, then we talk a little bit about education. We talk about breaking up the ride symbol, especially in a jazz context. Our featured artist this time is Zach Farrow from the band Paramore. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out a 101 drums, 5.5 by 14 wood fiber snare drum. Then we'll get to your listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Nice, that one will work. I'll drink conducting uh, that time, so I should be on it. <laughs> yeah. Jesse Simon laying it down. He's a Mike's Lesson student, and uh, I'm pretty sure he does like professional level voiceovers. So I was hoping that he should have a good sound since he lives in this inside of a recording studio, and that sounded great. Yeah, really nice and punchy and clean. Yeah, and he's rocking the good, good stuff. Is that the new Renown, the RN one, or is it RN? The RN one, yeah. That's the new one, RN one. I don't know what. The- oh, I don't know. I don't, I, I skipped Nam. <laughs> Year. I have no idea. I'm just a Gretsch artist. What the hell do I know? <laughs> Either way, the drums sound great. It's a Gretsch Renown kit, a Danette Brass 2N snare, which sounds awesome. Yeah. Heartbeat 15-inch hi-hats. I've not played Heartbeat. I'm assuming they're probably Turkish-made, but I don't know much about them. They sound good. Yeah. Do you know what his microphones? Yes, yeah, since he's in the engineering world, let's dig in. He's got Sennheiser E602 inside the kick. He's got an EV RE20 outside. He's got a Sure, SM57 on top of his snare, and here's something unique. He's got an SM7 on the side of the shell pointing at the vent hole. I've there seen go. guys do that. I've never tried it. Maybe I should. Yeah, I tried it uh, recently because uh, we were doing how to mic your snare drum on the live lessons on mikeslessons.com, and I was talking to Nate, who's running the cameras in here, and I said, have you ever mic'd your vent hole? Sounds great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, go mic your vent hole, you dirtbag. Anyways, um, so 
Uh, he's like, no, I didn't even know that that was a thing. And I said, well, and I had a 57 on the kit. I said, well, let's try it. And yeah, it's a uh, nope, not for me. Not but for it, it does. I mean, there's obviously what, uh, what is it? Bob Clearwater Mountain? Clear Mountain. Clear Mountain. Um, what he talks about when you put the bass drum mic right inside the port how you get that fake low end from the air hitting the diaphragm of the microphone, you get kind of a similar thing. You get this little like low end punch out of the snare drum when you mic the vent hole. So mm. I could, I mean, you would never use it as your main source, but I mean, I only know about it because I've been in studios where they mic'd the vent hole and I was like, what the hell are you doing? And I, I got to try. You know, I'm starting to really hate the bottom side snare mic sound. It's starting to mm. really bother me. It's, I can't get it to sound natural. So maybe I'll try the side. Yeah. I mean, unless you spent a lot of time as a child being underneath people's drum sets, it's not a very natural sound. That's why I don't use it. <laughs> but whatever, you know, do your thing, man. What else is uh, easy? No, I mean, I, and you just have it in there just a little bit, right? Yeah, but it's even that I'm, I'm feeling like it's just not giving me what i want it's not giving me okay. the dimension that i want and i think i'm just tired of it i want to change mics i think my whole setup needs to change i'm, I'm due for yeah it. just i love when you go like this this yeah. is great i mean this is like <laughs> then i get to join in and i'm like yeah you're right i should get new gear too <laughs> oh i don't want to buy any new gear i just want to use the stuff i have differently <laughs> oh yeah no what what we said earlier you should buy new gear that's more fun for me <laughs> To live vicariously through your pocketbook. I like it. <laughs> uh, nah, no, buddy. Jesse's also using Sennheiser 421s on the Toms. I don't own any of those. He has a SM7 on the hi-hat. Aston Origins as overheads, which I believe I have a set of those to review. So I'm looking forward to checking those out. Cool. So anyway, that's Jesse's groove. So what are we... Well, what it sounded we, great. What are we talking about today? What day is uh, it? A lot of stuff. Well, you've got it? a big clinic coming up. Uh, I, for the third day in a row... Have been up since 4:45 a.m. and uh, CrossFit class oh, at 5:30 a.m. <laughs> okay, so yeah, buddy, let's dig in. Have you hurt yourself okay. yet? <laughs> I, I have not. The so I think I told you last time, but it was four one-on-one sessions, four one-hour one-on-one sessions with the owner before I was even allowed to do my first class. Right. Which was awesome. I mean, he just really obsessed on technique and then finding all the flexibility problems that I have and finding all the ways to improve my flexibility, uh, things to do at home. And I just felt I've just never had that kind of one-on-one attention where it wasn't about pushing me harder. It was about pushing me smarter. And I just I was just in heaven. I was like, this is awesome. So, yeah, I've had three. So I had four one-hour sessions with him, and then I've had three CrossFit classes that start at 5.30 in the morning. And, dude, I am hooked on getting up that early to to have all that stuff going on, get home, cook breakfast for the wife, feed the dogs, take my second shower, and it's it's like 7.30 a.m. Yeah, but what happens at like 9 p.m.? Are you just done? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's rad because I'm always up till midnight just spinning my wheels. My wife goes to bed at 9. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just – and I say I'm going to go to the studio and practice, and I come here and I don't. I watch <laughs> YouTube videos, and I'm like, oh, I got to learn how to do this new camera technique. Oh, I got to buy something on Amazon. And so, Speaking of which, how's your color correction? <laughs> bro, watch my newest Instagram video. Woo! Uh, it's so it's so on fire compared to where it was a week ago when everything was overdone and I was learning too many techniques at once and now I've just got this like oh wow 
Look at that smooth skin tone. And <laughs> All right. Oh. Let's break it down. Number one lesson mm. that you learned. What was the biggest breakthrough? Uh, exact same thing as audio. S- stop oversaturating everything. Mm. And when I say saturation, I don't mean the actual saturation level or bar. I mean stop over-affecting everything. It's hard. You're, you're, you're editing your own face, your own body. It's hard to not want to use the most wide-angle lens that will make you look the skinniest. It's hard not to jack up the saturation that will make your skin look tan. But when you keep tweaking and keep tweaking because you're editing your own face and your own body, by the end result, you're like, that looks nothing like me. And it's the same thing with audio is when you're done jacking up the EQ and putting on a gate and a compressor on everything. And all of a sudden you're like, there's no drum set in the world that sounds like that. (laughs) So really my adjustments are so, so small now. And the biggest thing that I've learned is by doing this stuff for five to six hours a day, you start to get an eye for it and you start to know what those little sliders do rather than moving them back and forth until it looks better. But you don't know why it looks better, you know? So yeah. that's been a, a lot of fun. Uh, that's very parallel and, to audio. It's like when my, my buddy Butch came over and all he did was move my overhead. One of my overheads, like, yeah, a 16th of an inch. And the whole stereo up. spectrum came in and it just became no clear. No way. Because he knew what he was listening for. He was like, the snare right. was just, there was a little bit too much snare and it wasn't getting enough floor right. calm. So he just turned it like a 10, 15 degrees. I was like, hey, all right, cool. Don't need yeah. to do that EQ move I was always doing. <laughs> totally. And I lucked out too as far, not lucked out, but I mean, I put in my YouTube hours as far as the people that I really look up to finding videos where maybe they were teaching me something that had nothing to do with color correction or the look of the footage. But during them getting ready to show me whatever they were about to teach, they were like, ah, and I'll just color correct this real quick. And I just studied their moves. And I was like, wait, that's how little contrast you change. That's how little saturation you change. That's what you do with the highlights, you know, or he'll, or they would maybe just say something like, all right, I just need to get a little more clarity here. And I'm thinking, well, go grab the clarity tab. <laughs> yeah. But instead, it's like, so I'm just going to bring the blacks down slightly and pump the highlights. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Mm. And today I learned a new – or yesterday I learned a new technique that's in my latest two Instagram videos, which is called speed ramping. Uh, so I shoot everything in 120 frames per second, bring it into the computer, and then – I'll take the shot all the way up to the second that I want you to really focus, and I jack that up to 500% speed, and then I drop it into slow motion the second it gets to what I want you to see. So it's like, and then it just goes to slow motion. Um, Uh, Tricky. So I used that yesterday, and I used that today on a green tee shot. So uh, (laughs) I I will say this. I'm putting in way more hours into a 40-second Instagram video than I am into like the entire spectrum of education that i've ever taught because i'm i just know that those <laughs> techniques will spill over into what i'm doing yeah, for I mean, education it's, it's later. practice it's just i mean i think it's, it's exactly countless hours i've spent tuning drums and detuning drums and, and exactly thank you some it's the you same think thing. it's wasted but now i can i can get a drum the way i want it to sound almost instantly you know with just a yeah. few moves and people say like how did you do that and you're like ah, man honestly without you putting in the hours i i really can't tell you because I can just hear it. I just know what's happening. Uh, mm. And so the video thing I feel is the same. And Instagram is a great platform to be like, okay, even if I have a terrible video, it's gone in 24 hours for the most part. And it's it was only 40 seconds long. You know, I didn't make a movie. And then so go, how are you oh, going to speed terrible. ramp your drum videos? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. Uh, it would be only for product demo stuff. Like, let's yeah. check out this snare drum. And then it just goes. And then zooms in um also 
I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to give you a secret, Mike. <laughs> if you ever want to do that kind of out of focus into focus thing, yeah, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's really hard I have no to idea like. What that is? Yeah. So I let's say it, that but... you're 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 sitting in front of your snare drum. You turn your lens so it's completely out of focus, and your goal is to just rack focus into like clarity. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do because you don't know where to stop, and the little viewfinder is so small. You're like, was that in focus? I don't know. I can't tell. So the way you do it is you actually zoom in on the object uh, with the camera. You get in perfect focus. That's where you start. And then you actually rack focus out of focus, take that footage into Premiere, and then reverse the footage, Uh, and it looks like you went into focus. Ah, that's tricky. Right? (laughs) Boom. I haven't slept in forever, bro. I mean, I'm just trying to get videos that aren't overexposed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I ignored all that crap. I had the worst looking videos ever, but the focus was sharp. <laughs> no, I, uh, so yeah, it's been, I also knew that, you know, camp season is starting this Sunday, like in oh, three wow. days. Man, so, that came out quick. I know. So I had to really squeeze all this in as much as I could. Cause as soon as camp season starts, I can't be like, okay, you guys keep practicing. I'm going to go work on my camera technique. Yeah. I don't think so. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, all right. You want to get into some real stuff? Yes. Why indeed. am I shouting? Why are you shouting? Well, things to me. Don't I don't know. Stop yelling at me. Probably because uh, I'm all juiced up on pre-workout, post-workout supplements. <laughs> are you on the juice? Are you juicing? No, I might be. I might. Well, I'm just because I know that I can cycle off before my first competition in May. I don't know what month it is. All right. Let's get started. We got stuff to talk about. We're talking about the ride symbol. Ding, oh, ding, 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 ding. Just talk, man. I, I, I can't. I can't carry the whole thing. I need what you're juicing on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just green tea. It's always been green tea. I just started getting up earlier. All right, so okay. ride symbol Steve Fiddick. Let's go. Okay. Well, there's an, the article in the May issue is by Steve Fiddick. It's an up tempo studies piece, basically on how to break up the ride symbol pattern so you don't exhaust yourself, and then challenge that with different coordination stuff with the snare and the bass drum. Okay. I wanted to go. <clears throat> take a step back and let's just talk about how do we break up the ride symbol. It doesn't even have to be in jazz, but anything when you're playing more kind of elongated phrases, improvisational styles, right? some different techniques on what can you do to not just play 4-4 or the same ostinato constantly. Um, sure. The big thing that Steve uses, the device, which is something I also I remember, uh, great jazz drummer Carl Allen did a whole clinic. I think it was at a... AJE festival years ago or something he called it the power of three and he, he kind of talked about how jazz modern jazz phrasing is largely based on threes groupings of three like three quarter notes over okay. four four that's that's kind of how you can break up you know so you're not always just playing a four four listen to elvin jones he plays a lot of three over four not triplets three over four but like three right. quarter notes groupings of three quarter notes um i've heard that with mickey roker joe chambers now, Roy what do you Haynes. mean by that? Are you saying these accenting every three notes, like ding, 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 against? Yeah, ding, well, ding, 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 ding. if you're talking about the way that like Elvin and those guys play, their their entire thing, everything they play when they're in this mode is three four over four four. So if they're playing okay. something around the kit, it's not four beats long; it's three beats long, and then it cycles. Really? It just keeps cycling, so then it fills out the four bar phrase in this kind of oh. syncopated way. Right, okay. So they're kind of cool. breaking the bar line but adhering to this kind of three rule. Um, wow. So that's what, so that's what Steve is kind of using for the ride symbol. So instead of playing 
one, two, and three, four, and one. You do a lot of one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, and four, one, two, and three, four, one, and two, three, four, and one. Got like it. thinking in three three note phrases. So put an eighth note, you know, two eighth notes in between two quarter notes, and then that becomes a ride symbol pattern. So his his brackets, that's what he's saying. That's his phrasing, even though the whole thing is written in 4-4. Four, four. Exactly. And not only does it make I your phrasing it. a little bit hipper, it also gives your hand a break so you're not playing so many okay. eighth notes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count 2A in this, and I'm going to see if I can accentuate his brackets with my voice while still counting in 4. Okay. So I'd have like 1, 2, 3, 4, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, and 3, 4. Yeah. Oh my God! And then you use, That's awesome. use that as okay. Now, what kind of triplet licks do you want to play underneath that with your bass drum and snare drum? And it becomes this. Then now you start to sound like Elvin Jones. That's kind of wow. The whole that's thing. that's really cool. And but Steve went even crazier in his exercises where he starts playing dotted eighth note or dotted quarter note patterns with the snare and bass drum. So it becomes this whole other thing. That's. Super tricky <laughs> independence. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually just right now living on a hot. That was like a walk off for me. The fact that I, <laughs> I was like, OK, finish out the podcast. I'm going to go take a break. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, no, but that's have, really have cool. I mean, honestly, that just I mean, you ever thought, no. even if you're playing in like a 16th note style fusion style, have you ever thought about how you're breaking up the ride symbol? Not at all. No. Um, I mean, it really is for me more about. I guess, filling in the space of the notes. Um, so mm. it's just, it's always thought of as more simplistic or more busy, I guess you could say. But I've definitely never thought, I mean, maybe with the bell of the ride symbol to purposely create a three over four feel, but not phrasing in three, four while playing in four, four. Wow, cool. You I know? think So I think you should try it. So what I do a lot is um, I will play the sort of like a push crash with the bass drum on one. And then okay. four, and then three, right? One, four, yep. one, two, three, four, one, one two, three, one, four, four one, three, two, two, one, yeah. and then you got a whole measure. So yep. then I just use that, and then I play whatever the heck I want in between. But the trick is, I got to play the same whatever the heck I want for those entire four bars. So it's oh okay, play something four, and you're back to the top. Okay, nice. Yeah, no, I think this would actually be super useful in my current project, you know, because it's not overly dream theater. It's like this is still subtle. Very subtle, yeah. I I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Secret pieces to the modern jazz lexicon. That I've right. that I didn't discover it was shared with me, <laughs> but <laughs> but sure. you hear it. I mean, if you listen to like a Love Supreme, the the what's the up tempo uh, movement? I think it's Pursuance or I don't remember which one it is. But there's the one where they're blazing, and you can hear Elvin's doing this three four over four four thing almost the entire time. He's like he's constantly thinking that way and kind of going in and okay. out of it. That's really cool. That's awesome, man. That's really. I mean. It's it's so funny. I get speechless when all of a sudden I start thinking about like, okay, can I go practice? Now? <laughs> right. <laughs> you got this, right? Because I think like literally just thinking. I love when you find things in the drum world, and you and I probably go through this a lot. But where you find something where you go, I can totally do that. I've just never thought to do it. Yeah. But I don't have to learn. It's not like my independence is going to be the problem here. It's like, oh, geez, I just never thought to think like that. Yeah, you got to think macro. Um, it's like thinking macro. Like how do you dissect yeah. these 16 quarter notes 
and think of like the big three. Maybe that's what Carl's Clinic was, the big three. I think it was the power of three, but either way, that it blew me away. And then I, as soon as he, he shared that idea, I started hearing it. Like, that's what everybody's doing. They're all playing either oh. three quarter notes or three eighth notes or group. You know, it's all these groupings right. of three that, that forces you to go over the bar line without thinking, going to go over the bar that's line. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I've done it in, a, in the 16th note scale because I'm so hyper focused, or not hyper focused, but I've just put so much effort into odd groupings but always as 16th notes so mm-hmm. if if i'm playing any groove and somebody says every third 16th note on the kick i know exactly where that fits no matter where it starts whether it's you know one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and it doesn't matter or every fifth starting on the third note i know where all those fall but yeah. i've never but i think when you get into the quarter note it extends the phrase so you're not hearing it. i mean every three 16th notes you recognize it right away yeah we all know it that it sounds bang, like a, a lick or something there's exactly. No, there's no room for you to put anything in there. If you, you no, just it just is. Okay, what, what are your threes? Right, left, left, <laughs> ba-da-da, ba-da-da, ba-da-da. Um, But for this to have like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, yeah. four, one. And there's so much time. Anything in there? Yeah. Oh, I'm juiced. <laughs> Stephen Alexander Fiddick. Thank you. I don't know what his middle name is. I don't think it's Alexander, but let's go with it. <laughs> All right. He can have Steve Jobs' as middle name. Stephen Paul Fiddick. Well done. Uh, yeah. That is awesome. Changed my life today. I'm excited to get on the drums. All right. Well, everyone, check out Steve Fiddick's article in the May issue. Uh, it's called Up Tempo Studies. It's in the Jazz Drummers Workshop section. Uh, yeah. So it's really, really cool stuff. And I think it, this is one of those when you look out on the page, you're like, oh, there's like no notes. There's nothing there. Like, what is this? This right. is like worthless. Right. But yeah, sit down with it and let it. Yeah, I think you have to have that light bulb like, oh, now I can see what happens. So I'm not going to. Yeah, I am. Uh, I was going to say I'm going to try to not pat ourselves on the back too much, but I'm going to. That's <laughs> why I love doing this podcast is because if you hear the podcast first and then you see the article, it all makes sense. But maybe if you only saw the page and you weren't somebody that digs deep into these things, maybe you would never even know the magic that was inside there. Yeah. It just and, looks like, like patterns. Right. And I mean, I've been playing my whole life and now I'm super excited to get on the drum set and maybe make things sound a, a little cooler and without with all the vocabulary that i already have i don't have to learn anything new exactly just that's the really trick. cool stuff yep awesome yeah. well there we go all now right, you know so how to get a shot in focus ya. see you next week and <laughs> yeah exactly you can get a shot in focus from blurry by reversing the footage and i'm gonna play three four over four four Good i like stuff. that you know i like that that focus trick i never even thought about it i mean i i'm such a absolute newbie with cameras that i mean that uh, when i see that i'm like that looks cool how are people doing that oh i don't care because i don't even want to bother but now that it now yeah. again it sounds like it's not that difficult that's pretty cool it's not at all and literally um and it's the same thing with going away from it like if you wanted to zoom in not go just blurry but zoom in on a subject like i'll start with my lens completely purpose perfectly focused on the drum and then i just pretend like i'm falling backwards and i fall away from the drum and then I reverse that footage, and it looks like the camera shoots, and it just stops right at the perfect spot, where there's no way I could actually end up at that perfect spot without reversing the footage. So, Ricky, so how do you do yeah, that man. with real film? You just flip it. Oh, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the actual. I have no idea if I'm even doing this right, bro. I'm still 
I'm tuning without the tune bot. I'm just like, I don't know, sounds good. Um, but when I right clicked on my effects button on the footage and there was a little thing that said reverse footage, I was like, oh, well, I don't yeah. have to do anything. So anyways, uh, I think, you know, what I've I've come to learn is that people like you and, and myself and, and our all of our favorite drummers, there has to be something built into us to have been doing this song. We have to have some sort of love for learning. And yeah, I think so. What happened and when I you know, with drums, the learning process, the better you get, the slower you get to make these big improvements. I mean, like that's why I'm so excited right now with the Steve Fittick thing is uh that just that's a huge light jump for me. Light mm-hmm. jump? That makes no sense. <laughs> but it, it's it's a huge jump for me. <laughs> I gotta I gotta start sleeping more. Anyways, uh, That's but I just I know that say, a light jump. It's a light jump. <laughs> Anyways, I'm super into physics and I'm like really into CrossFit right now. So if you could just go on a light jump with me down to the gym. So, um, but that is a huge chunk of <laughs> whatever. Anyways, moving on. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> what I were you trying to say? You get to a point. I was when just trying to say it, I, I'm really excited are, about are something. Tiny. But yeah, I'm when I could spend three hours on the drum set today and make such a small improvement because all those huge jumps of improvement, they're gone. I I already learned how to play my first fill. Yeah. Yeah, Physical stuff is kind of there. Now it's all conceptual. Yeah. And this is a huge concept that I could still use all the same tools I've already had. And I think that's probably why I've gravitated so hard to the shooting videos thing in the last couple months is because I've always been able to shoot decent educational videos, but now I want to make awesome creative videos. But every little thing I learn is huge because I know nothing. Yeah. So it's kind of fueling that love for learning in me. And when I learn, then I get excited about teaching and it, when I'm getting really close to teaching a bunch, you know, 10 drum camps in a row, I need to be on fire educationally in my own mind and having something like this where it's like, okay, I'm learning fitness in a new way that I've never learned it before. So I'm super excited about that. I'm learning how to make videos in a new way that I've never learned before. And I can take that passion and pass it on to the drummers that are coming in when maybe I'm not feeling that about drums right now because I've gone through all this stuff, but I can relate to what they're going through because I'm going through it too with something else. That's a good point. And, you know, I have to remind myself constantly that the things that I'm bored about with drums is not, is might be the exact same thing that someone else is super stoked about. And it's like, I mm-hmm. feel like sometimes I, I want to push people past that stuff that I'm like, ah, don't waste your time with that. But you know what? Right. You should spend some time trying to do it. Yeah, because you did. Yeah. I mean, I'm right? looking back, I'm like, Ugh, why did I worry about all that, you know, polyrhythmic stuff or whatever? But. Right. I'm like, yeah, but that actually informed me on a lot of stuff that I may not play. It leads you down four, different paths. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I, the other thing is I just maybe three days ago put up my first intentional intermediate video on YouTube that was a very simple linear pattern. And there was a little bit of that fear in me of like, oh, what are my buddies going to think? Yeah. This is so easy. Dude, it related to so many more people because so many more people are actually there than they are at a place where my buddies would think it was cool. Yeah. And yeah, so, can, I mean, the yeah. video just blew up in one day and everyone's like, thank you for finally posting something I can practice. And I was like, yeah, I kind of forget sometimes. Yeah, that brings up uh, another, I mean, this is something I've been going through. I feel like I'm ready to just, like I said, dismantle everything and start all over. Cause I'm so bored with how I sound and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like I, like for me, it's like, 
I don't want to just keep repeating myself. And the moment I feel like, all right, you've done that at some point in the past year, you need to right. reevaluate. But there's also, I think, a bit of a like you could have very well become the linear drumming guy. <laughs> so, like, I'm thinking like. I would have been like, ah, no way I'm doing another linear video ever again for the rest of my life. Right. That would be my yeah. instinct. Yeah. But the, you have to embrace the fact that you have this knowledge and share well, it. Well, and I have to. I had to go back in time to what it was like for me to think, how come I can't make my groove sound the way that, my, that the people that I'm looking up to sound? And then whether it was Future Sounds or my private lessons with Pete Magadini, all of a sudden I was introduced to this world of linear drumming and it was like, that was the missing piece. Well, someone out there must be in that exact same spot mm-hmm. right now that I was in when I was 19 years old. So, and I, I mean, the, the great thing about our th- industry, someone is starting drums today. Someone's buying their first drum set, buying their first pair of sticks, their first yeah, pad. True. And we always think that the whole world's just practicing along with us and everyone's at the same place and they're not. And so, like I said, I was really excited, like, okay. First of all, the YouTube community accepted this video. It wasn't like it blew up, but then there was a bunch of people that were like, hey, this stuff's stupid. I'm hella good. It was like everyone was like, man, I'm so surprised how good this thing sounds at the at the higher tempo. And those were the advanced drummers. I was like, oh, cool. You yeah. know, and so anyways, yeah, I think that falling in love with learning something, whatever it is, refuels you for the things that we've been doing for the past 35 years. It's true. You want to talk about a guy who's not even close to 35 years old? <laughs> what is he, 12? Oh, God, I can't even handle these, these, these damn kids. Get off my lawn, Zach. When I looked this up, because we, we were talking about Zach Farrow, who just rejoined Paramore. Uh, he is only, well, he was born in 1990, so he's not even 28 years old. Well, that's and, not bad. Yeah, he can but grow facial hair. That's Paramore's cool. first record was in two thousand and four. Oh, so he was wait. <laughs> he was so he was fourteen. <laughs> what the fourteen or fifteen? Primer. He joined and they started the band in two thousand four. They made the record. It came out in two thousand five. I'm sure they made it in two thousand four. So he was fourteen. <laughs> Mom, can you drop me off at the studio? I got to make a hit record. Love you. What the hell? So, Could you imagine showing up to the studio with like Capri Sun and some orange slices and a bag lunch and like, <laughs> right, <laughs> dude, that's awesome. I had I did not know that story at all. Yeah, I mean, you think about how compressed his career is. So, fourteen years old joins Paramore. They have six years of just insane success. He mm-hmm. quits. So he he leaves the band and he's twenty. He's not even old enough to like buy a a beer (laughs) and he leaves the band because he's burned out and then comes back a big you know rejoins the band and he's still not even as old as uh most of our rock heroes were when they died (laughs) right (laughs) oh that is crazy so it's this whole new phase in his career where he just rejoined paramore i think it's it's pretty awesome i remember the first time i heard paramore i was i was not quite into modern rock. Mm-hmm. I was definitely in a jazz snobbery, coming out of my jazz snobbery phase. But that dude could play. The first right. time I heard, him, I was like, "Man, this!" If, you know, it was the first time I felt like, "Man, I'm I'm out of touch. I can't hang with this." Like <laughs> all these fills yeah. and stuff, and just ripping the drums. I'm like, "I if I if they asked me to play a gig, I couldn't do it." Like this is yeah, this, like young man stuff. <laughs> and I remember around that same time, you know, I quit touring in 2006. So this was 
oh, there's this band that is now, you know, 2010, 2011. There's this band that is new enough that I don't know who they are, you know, because there was this like three year period where every band that my students would ask me about, I was like, yeah, I just went out on the road with them. and We were opening for those guys or they were opening for us. Well, Paramore was one where I was like, I don't know who that is. And I remember my students bringing the songs in or bringing the CDs in that I had to break down these parts. And and when they would say, yeah, it's like a pop punk thing, I'd go, okay. And I'd put it in thinking I'll write out the one bar for you. Yeah. And right. that's the whole damn song. <laughs> right. And then I was like, oh, my God. Why Why is this like – why is pop punk suddenly advanced? Yeah, um, exactly. But still hooky and catchy. So um, that's really cool because honestly I've known a lot about the band, but I really didn't know a lot about him as the drummer. Yeah. And it was just one of those bands where you could tell the drummer wasn't going for Travis Barker level fame. He yeah, – you know, because I knew a lot about yeah. Paramore, but I didn't know anything about their drummer. Yeah. Yeah, he was just killing it in the band. And, and actually, I wanted to read a quote from his story because he's featured in the May issue because he, you know, he came back to the band and made a new record. The new record is very different. So they've they went from being this kind of pop punk band to now they're kind of bringing in new wave sounds. I'm not even sure if there's a distorted guitar on the new record. It's, it's pretty you know, synthy. I gotta say, and this this probably sounds a little sexist, but I love the new wave vibe with female vocalists. There's just something about it that that works for me when i hear it with male vocalists a lot of times i feel like it's a little too trying to be 80s yeah yeah but um, there was a band called the start i don't know if you remember them no. but they had uh did you ever know the band snot yeah of course <laughs> okay so they had a, a drummer that was really good named jamie something jamie Anyways, miller he's in uh, Bad yeah. religion now shut up is he playing guitar or drums he's playing drums in Bad religion yeah Okay. Okay. Well, that that drummer, eventually, uh, I think it was him and his girlfriend or him and his wife. They they started a band called uh, The Start, and he was playing guitar in it. And we went out on the road with them, and they were very kind of had that uh, that eighties thing going, and just killing it, absolutely killing it. So, anyways, long story short, uh, I I love that sound. So, and I think it always works, and especially now, it doesn't sound dated because the way they're recording it, it just sounds super modern. It just mm-hmm. has this little throwback to it. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So here's the bit I wanted to read about you know him deciding to leave the band. So at, think of you know all that in consideration. It's 2010. He's t- not even 20 probably. <laughs> so the question is, you were a founding member of Paramore when you were just becoming a teenager and you left in 2010 while the band was still on its meteoric rise. How hard of a decision was that for you to make? His answer I'd hit a wall. I didn't want to go out and play, and if, as a musician, you're not getting stoked to play in front of 40,000 people, then something is wrong. When the thought of driving to the grocery store back in Nashville seems more exciting than playing a huge, to a huge festival crowd, you have to check yourself. I needed to rethink my life, so leaving the band and going to New Zealand allowed me the time and space to figure out what inspired me. Man. Ballsy. Yeah, and I, you know what, though? you got to think about it. This happened when he was 20, right? Yeah, exactly. I you mean, yeah, everything was so You don't have so the weight. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have the weight that we have as adults. You don't know any better. You just think, like, I could do this whenever I want. Hell, I did this when I was 15. Yeah, this is right. how life is. I'll just – I'll go to New Zealand and come back and do it tomorrow. I'll just, and he did. <laughs> of course. Well, but, I mean, it's, it is it is ballsy, but it's also just that that awesome ignorance of youth where you're like – 
I could do whatever I want. And what does it matter? And, you know, it's pretty cool, though, especially to know, like, okay, the world and maybe your parents and all your friends, you have the dream that everyone wanted for you. You're living it right now. Yeah. And then to recognize that it's not your dream. That's a scary thing. And because it's not I I guarantee just because I kind of went through the exact same thing on a much smaller level. I bet he didn't have a lot of fear of doing it himself. I bet he had way more fear of letting other people down, letting his bandmates down, letting his family down. Mm. Uh, You know, friends are like, what do you mean you're quitting Paramore? It's like, dude, I'm not happy. And they're like, well, suck it up. Who cares? I mean, you're in Paramore. I die to be in Paramore. (laughs) That definitely was the first. My first reaction was, well, I mean, what? What job that you do for 10 years will you ever be like, oh, I really want to go do that every day right. at some point? Yep. But yeah, I think it, well, it's, I mean, it just shows for me that, that he has a lot of integrity. and Absolutely. And as a 20-year-old, I mean, I guess, you know, when you can get burned out too. It's also a story of like how this type of early fame can be dangerous because you're a teenager. You probably still have pimples all over your face and yeah. you're flying around the world and playing for – 40,000 people every day. That's 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 surrealism to its maximum. Well, degree. and you're also not doing it by yourself. So that means you're also touring with bands that are maybe bigger than you. Maybe you're the in the opening slot or a supporting slot and maybe you're seeing 30-year-old people that are living a certain lifestyle and you're going, "Am I supposed to be doing that? I'm 15." Yeah. Or you're yeah. thinking what I thought when I was doing this, I did this for six years straight, and I, I didn't really look at the bands as much as I was looking at the techs, you know, and I'm looking at all the roadies, and I'm like, dude, is that my future? You're like 48. Yeah, You've got kids in four different states, and you can't stand the thought of getting off the road because then you'd have to deal with the responsibilities. And it's like, okay. And it just kind of drove me nuts. So I have no idea. I've never met Zach. I don't know what he went through. But the fact that he had that amount of self-awareness and reflection at such a young age is is awesome. Now, let's talk about something that matters to all of us, his drumming. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I know nothing. I mean, this whole thing is brand new to me, and I'm really excited to kind of discover Zach. Yeah. What's he like as a drummer? Have you seen him do anything besides Paramore? Well, you know, he had his own band, like when he left and you know, left Paramore, went to New Zealand for a while, came back. He started his own band, but he was the front man. He was the okay. singer songwriter, uh, so I think if you if you look at his work with Paramore, it's definitely aggressive modern rock. You know, it's got some Travis Barker, it's got some Josh Freese, it's got sure. a lot of notes, and that's why when I first heard him play, it, it made me feel old. Like, wow, I physically can't do what this this guy is doing. Like, right, ripping, ripping full volume, a lot of fills, but really powerful and clean. Um, you know, the new version is definitely way more, you know, part driven and sonics. And but if you check out some videos of them live when they play the old stuff, he still rips. It just feels a little bit, you know, a little. You more know, mature. I don't want mature is a terrible word for rock, I think. But sure, it feels more deliberate, less just balls to the wall all the time. Okay. But he's still having a lot of fun, which is really cool. But, you know, the video that, that made me a fan of this band was their unplugged performance on MTV. Because it was wow, just straight up. I mean, she can sing. I think she's one of the most talented singers in rock in the world, period. Because it yeah. was just pitch perfect. Agreed. The band was super tight. So to hear them play these these songs that are heavily produced on the records, stripped down acoustically, really and impressive. And still kill it. And he's using like blast sticks or something and not <laughs> not rods, those like 
those black plastic things or whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I know just, what you're talking about. I mean, they just sounded really great. That was what made me a fan <clears throat> of him and of the band. Just like, wow, they, they're actually a really good band. They're not a studio put-together project. Right. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Well, everyone, check out Zach Faro. We hope we're saying his last name right. Farrow? Uh, <laughs> I don't Farrow? know. I don't know. All right. Sorry. I didn't look it up. My good buddy, <laughs> my good buddy, Zach F. It's Zach Z-A-C. And if you want to check it out, check him out on YouTube. It's F-A-R-R-O. Uh, and I'm looking forward to digging into the, do you know, is he on the new Paramore record? Yeah. He, he, he okay. got back, rejoined the band as they were making the new record. So that he's cool. I don't know if he's on every track, but most of it. The last cool. record before that, which also really like has Elon Rubin on it. Yeah, that was that was a fun thing. That's why I'm excited to check this out because I was uh, I re got into Paramore when Elon did that record and just seeing him play some of the live stuff. And so I'm excited to uh, see Zach's take on all this stuff. So, all right. Is it time for a little break from our sponsor? It is. So we need to thank 101 Drums out of Sweden. Sweden. Are they from Sweden? (laughs) I think so. As long as when you say 101 Drums is a Swedish company in your article, <laughs> does that relate to Sweden <laughs> or is it Switzerland? Let me open the notes of my own work. Yeah. So <laughs> special thanks to 101 Drums. They're a Swedish company and they're making what they're calling wood fiber shells. Uh, I didn't get any specific details. They're calling it a treated wood fiber material. Um, Either way, they're they're very dense and they're they're designed to be completely weather resistant, so they won't expand or contract or crack or any of that kind of stuff. I think he even said you could put them underwater and the shell will show zero damage at all. So pretty cool. They're sponsoring the episode, and our actually review for this week is the snare drum that I tested out for the May issue. It is a five and a half by fourteen snare. Um, with diecast hoops and what do you call those lugs? Beaver tail lugs? I don't know what you call those. Uh, bread and butter. What do they call them? Lund- oh, you Is know what I have for them. They're like I don't know. I mean, they're everyone. It, it's so funny the way he's saying it right now. You're probably driving your car, thinking like, I wonder how exotic these lugs are. If you saw them, you'd be <laughs> like, Oh, the, you mean the most normal lugs ever? Oh, and it also has a DW mag throw off, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite throw offs. It's so awesome. It's I pretty the, sweet. I remember the NAM it came out and everyone just stood by it, turning it on and off and on and off. <laughs> and then Don Lombardi was just standing there beaming with pride. He's like, it feels good, huh? I'm like, dude, I've never enjoyed turning a snare on and off so much. So it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great throw. Yeah, it's like virtually silent. So they're offering these drums. We had the 5.5 by 14. They also make them in 4.5, uh, 6, 6.5, 7, 8 inch depths and they say you can custom order a shell from four inches to 54 inches in diameter so wow. i guess if you need your your marching band 54 <laughs> inch jeez goodness gracious that's like wow, that's huge all yeah, right i don't even know how what you do with that i think yeah that would be a concert drum or something but yeah it's a very lightweight drum which surprised me so their so their their whole claim to fame is a lightweight shell, but it has you know the the dense sound of like a six ply or a ten ply wood shell. So maybe Do we they make twenty two inch beaters? Twenty two inch beaters for your fifty four inch bass drum. Watch Just to hit it right dead center. 
I don't want to. I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't really do the math. I think it'd probably be a little closer to like 27 inches, but I, I want to hit like kind of dead center. Cool. Oh, that yeah, we should listen. Play. Because <laughs> <laughs> it smacks you in the forehead. All right, let's drop in some audio and then discuss the audio. All right, here it is. I think that drum sounds fantastic high high medium and and medium for sure without without any muffling like i love the snap to it it's got yeah. a lot of sensitivity yep. um, but just like a lot of drums that you really hear the the tone of the drum and the character of the drum when you go to those low tunings and there's a lot like unlike say an aluminum rolled shell it's not going to just give you that flat dead sound yeah yeah um, it's got some it's got some tone to it, but I think in that high to medium range, that thing sounds fantastic. Yeah, I remember I remember being surprised how kind of crisp and snappy it was, and I guess which is the case was with um, several other synthetic drums I've played. The tone is just very even. Like I feel like it yeah. was just it it, there, it didn't there was no pitch bend. It didn't go anything squirrely. It was just like a pure note, which could be fun if you're really trying to dial it into a key of a song or something or. You, know, you could dampen it out if you don't want it to be that way, but yeah. This now, was- what about the one thing that we can't really tell in this uh, audio example or in any audio example? What about its volume? Is it a low volume snare or because it is a different material? So yeah, no, it it had some bite. I felt like it was living in the higher registers and it wanted okay. to. 
Okay, if you guys are hearing any mid-show giggles, oh. it has nothing to do with the drum. Skype is totally not cooperating with us, and we keep getting frozen, and Mike is getting some awesome uh, screen grabs of my face as I get frozen on his screen. So, like you were saying small. this drum has some bite, and it loves living in those higher ranges. Yeah, I felt like this was a drum for someone who wants a, a wants a snare that can really kind of cut through. It kind of had like that, that Vinnie Cayuta, like, razor blade, mm. like, just snaps right through. I liked it tuned high. I felt like... Yeah, I agree. You know, the lower over, you could tune it lower, but it had something special in that higher range where you really want a real snappy backbeat. Yeah, and unless you're only going to own one snare drum for the rest of your life, I don't think every drum is supposed to be this all-in-one, do-every-tuning. Sometimes it's kind of cool to have a drum that kicks ass in a very specific thing, and it's like, cool, I'll grab that when we do that. Yeah, you know, I mean... I guess it's because I own a handful of drums, but I very rarely use any of the drums that <clears throat> do everything sort of well. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, yeah, yeah that drum could do everything, but I'm like, why don't I get the one that does that one thing way better than everything else? Because I'm doing that one thing today, so yeah, why wouldn't I exactly. use that? No, I, I agree. Not I to agree. say that this All is right. one of those drums, but it, it was a, you know, it, it could do everything, but I felt like it had something special in that higher range where it just... I agree. just felt like it was ready to... You know, snap right through, and it's, which is funny because I just—I'll talk about it later. But I just watched a Vinny video that he still got it. He still got the left hand from God, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It never, it never ends with that guy. So uh, anyway, thanks One Hundred One Drums for sponsoring the show. The review is posted on ModernDrummer dot com. You can check them out at One Hundred One One Hundred One Drums dot com. Yeah, so they're—they got a whole bunch of cool stuff. This is a you know a neat the the. The drum that they sent us is like a custom decal that they're using with their own logo. So I assume they're offering – you can do like custom logos and stuff on them, which is kind of cool. It's cool. And it's also great. I mean we don't – I don't know of a lot of Swedish drum companies, so it's cool. I look forward to them um, you know, getting out some full kits and everything like that. So all right. Let's get into our listener questions. All right. First one is from – stacks here. This one's from Mike. So he says, I've been dealing, something I've been dealing with lately is how to set goals in certain areas of drumming. For example, say you want to improve at jazz. How do you measure this? Uh, how do you measure, I guess, your improvement? I put in the time and my jazz sounds better. But with things like technique, you can measure your BPM. But setting goals with dynamics or certain styles seems vague. It is. And that's that's why it's really tough. You know, I think recording yourself is one thing um, and being able to actually archive those recordings so you can listen to what you sounded like when you were improvising in jazz. Um, I also think relying on the people around you. Hopefully you have some musicians around you that will be honest with you and tell you when you're sounding better and more importantly, making the music sound and feel better. And the other thing is. Uh, maybe taking a little bit of a journal and writing down some notes on how you feel when you're playing something. There are certain things that I can play that whether I sound good or bad, I I don't feel good playing it. Mm. And then three weeks later, I feel great playing it. And so I'm thinking like, well, you know, I, I don't obviously it's hard to be objective to know if this sounds better, but I sure feel a lot better doing this. I'm not so stiff. I'm not so concentrated. Um, and I feel a little more free. What do you think? Yeah, I think. I think especially with jazz, there's multiple steps. You gotta you gotta learn the independence, so then you know if you can do it or not. You know, you've gotta 
right. if you could play Syncopation or John Riley's book or any number of jazz independence books, if you can just play the exercises, that would be you can measure that. How you know how good is your independence? Then then right. you start messing with the tempos. How well can you play them at sixty BPM? How well can you play them at one hundred eighty BPM? Um, that would be like the easiest stuff I think that you could actually measure. Aside from that, I think for me it was like, can I put on one of my favorite records and play along and not get lost, not lose the form? Like, can yeah. I can I go from start to finish of one track and feel like I I was in it, I was a part of the the experience, right? You know, and there's always at least most records they they have medium tempo stuff. They have, might have a ballad. There might be something in three. There might be something with a Latin feel. There might be something that's blazing fast that's way outside of your ability. So right. there's like little goals within that. Can you do each one of these tunes? Yeah. Other than that, awesome. I mean, I don't know if you can set goals for dynamics. You just have to always work on them. It's just yeah. And just keep your. The more you work on it, the more you focus on it, the more your ear will pick up on it. So all right, next one is from Neil says, I have a question about buying symbols that have slight keyholing. Have you ever bought or chosen to play a symbol that, that is keyholed, and how much does it affect the sound? I don't think I've ever... I've bought lots of symbols in my life, but I don't think I've ever bought a used symbol. So I have a... Yeah, I have my, one of my favorite ride symbols of all time is a 22-inch Zildjian A from the 60s, and it is keyholed like no other. <laughs> and it sounds amazing. It, I've been using it for years it hasn't cracked or anything so i think the only the only issue is if the keyholing could you know keep the symbol in one position that might be stressing it in a way that would eventually crack but i've seen no no as long as there's so not anything else wrong with the symbol keyholing right. is not a problem you're saying that it's not keyholing and then cracking from the keyhole down the bell or yeah that that was probably yeah. what would happen over time because i think right. the keyholing usually happens when guys or girls use a symbol with no washers or felts on the stand and it just the friction starts to wear it away sure Uh, so i think if if nothing else is wrong with the symbol get it there's no problem if you like the way it sounds um all right next one's from michael i'm considering purchasing a ludwig black beauty and i noticed that it comes in the option of having tube lugs or imperial lugs I was curious mm-hmm. if you knew how those types of lugs would affect the sound. It says, I imagine that the imperial lugs, which contact the shell more, would hinder the resonance, but I'm curious if it would even be enough to hear a difference. I have a 14 by 6.5 Black Beauty with tube lugs, and I can tell you it's not overly resonating. Mm-hmm. It still sounds just like a Black Beauty. Yeah, so. I, yeah I think it's um, largely aesthetic and also... Uh, durability of the lugs themselves i mean i, I haven't a, yeah i haven't put them point. to the test but I, I have had some not the imperial lugs but i've had the bow tie lugs that are on acrylites i've had those break or pull out so the okay. tube i've never had a tube lug fail i think it's just there's more even tension throughout the lug that i don't think they're going to break mm. so that yeah, would I've, be I've never broken concern. the tube lug so yeah me either unless you like drop it or something but I've and i'm assuming cast lugs will break if you Abuse them, and I don't sure. know this for a fact, but I'm assuming the more high end tube lugs are usually brass. Um, so I, I, I don't know what metal use uh, Ludwig uses for their tube lugs, but uh, they're probably using brass or something. Yeah, that's pretty. You know, can handle some some beating. But yeah, I, I love it, and I. It's definitely not one of those drums where I hit it and it's spraying all over the place. It, yeah. it sounds actually extremely focused. Yeah. It sounds like a Black Beauty. Yeah, I haven't noticed much of a sonic difference at all. Cool. All right, one more. Grant. 
I was watching the Victor Wooten DVD, the great bass player, and he was stressing about the importance of spaces and practicing rests in music and how musicians don't work on this aspect. My question is, do you have any exercises or tips to practice spaces and rests in drumming? Hmm. I think... I don't think you can have exercises except for just respect them and, and give them their full value. I know yeah. uh, an Elvin Jones interview he talked about when he was learning to read music as a, as a kid, he would grunt whenever there was a rest. That way there was at least some kind of a sound happening during the time he wasn't supposed right. to play. A sound or a body movement. Yeah. There needs to be. <clears throat> um, I have a course um, on the site uh, on timekeeping and it's just the exercises that i went through when i was trying to build up my ability to keep better time and one of the exercises is a gap click but the gap click is a four beat or one measure rest so you don't play during the silence so it's it's instead of testing how well you can keep time when you play it's how well can you keep time when you don't play and learning your body and learning okay I'm going to have to keep my left foot going or I'm going to have to move my shoulders or something's going to have to keep time because if I sit dead still and don't grunt and don't do anything, I can't keep time for one bar of silence. So you have to learn your body and boots, cazzo, boots, cazzo, move, 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 boots, you know. Yeah. And so that might be one thing you could do to practice rest. The other thing I like is I like really uh, – God, I wish I had an audio representation for this, but – I like those extremely spaced out syncopated kick drum fills, like kick only fill. So, I love that stuff. And I always come in early on that stuff. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll just work on that fill over and over and over again with a metronome uh, and then with a gap click and see like, okay, can I, can I just play something? I mean, a one bar rest, you're really prepping for it and it lands right on the downbeat. You know, you stop playing on the one and you stay there. But when you have like one, e, uh, 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 huh, <laughs> you know, and you just kind of fall down the stairs can be a little bit harder. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, that's yeah, I guess I'm trying to deconstruct what Victor was actually getting at. Like, I think he was probably ref- referencing that people don't leave enough rests in their playing. Like you just don't leave I agree enough with that. rests. Playing with space for sure. And you don't, res- you know, you don't honor the full length of the rest. So you start crushing it down to get to the next note. So, yeah, I think, I think actually something I was teaching uh, a class just last week was this this tendency for everyone. You play a beat. And then when you get to the fill, mentally you start to get stressed and anxious, so you rush. And then yep. when you get to the end of the fill and you go back to the beat, you, you relax, so then you drop the tempo. So it's this constant like rush and take a breath and drag, rush, yep. take a breath and drag. So what I have uh, students do is count out loud through the fill, through the downbeat, and stopping on beat two of the groove. So mentally you're engaged from the start of the fill through the resolution, and you don't mentally take a break until you land on the backbeat in the following measure. There you go. You I, might want to try that. That's fantastic. There you go. All right, everybody, <clears throat> please keep sending in your email questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can also send audio questions. We play those whenever those come in. And now 
It is time for our picks of the week, and I'm going to tell you right now, Mr. Dawson, no matter how caught up in picks of the week I get, I'm not going to forget our outro groove. <laughs> okay. I'm, already, I'm already prepped. I won't be, like, waving the... Yeah. <laughs> outro groove, Johnston! <laughs> All right. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? My, I'll go first. I discovered go uh, a new... It's not super new or undiscovered. It came out on February 1st, but there is a new video with Vinny Cayuta that Sweetwater published. Uh, it's oh, yeah. Almost 40,000 views. Not quite enough. 15 thumbs down, <laughs> which is unacceptable. So it's called Jing Chi at Sweetwater. It's essentially a little documentary. It's a 23-minute video of them. You know, they went to the Sweetwater studio and they made made their records. So there's some interview footage with the three guys. There's some gear talk. There's, there's some playing. I wish there was more playing, but there's enough to hear Vinny yeah. kind of being Vinny Be still. Vinny. Still and not, I mean, not even, not even falling off an ounce. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I Ugh. mean, he's kind of like laying it in a little. He, you know, he's not doing the the crazy '90s version of Vinny stuff where you're like, "Whoa, right. what was that?" He's kind of being more subtle, but still, so much command. It's like he's right. got a reverb chamber in his left hand. It drives me nuts. <laughs> so that's uh, Robin Ford and Jimmy Haslip. Yep. and Vinny, right? That's yep. it. Just three of them. So they made the record at their studio and. Sat down. They actually uh, they interviewed the engineer, so he talked about all the microphones that are on Vinny's kit, everything. So it's pretty neat. It's a little nice little documentary. Jing Chi at Sweetwater. That's Man. my pick. Can you imagine? Like when when you and I go into the studio. The engineer, or the, or especially the producer. The producer is the man, and we're just hoping that that guy or girl likes us, because then maybe they'll call us back. <laughs> but can you imagine having the gravitas like Vinny that the producer is the one telling his friends like. I'm really nervous. Vinny <laughs> Caliuto, Robin Ford, and Jimmy Haslip are coming in tomorrow. I got to pretend like I know what the hell I'm doing. Actually, I know that engineer because I've been to Sweetwater a few times, and he definitely knows what the heck he's doing. But if I was an engineer and I had to record Vinny, I'd be like, uh. yeah. And Vinny would be like, why would you put a Beta 52 on my snare? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> You're so good. And the <laughs> irony this? Probably the irony is that Vinny sounds like Vinny in any studio with any microphones on any kit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's the Steve Jordan thing. Do your thing <laughs> yeah. and do it well. Awesome. Uh, well, everyone, check that out. It is on YouTube. I, I watched that as soon as it came out and thought it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed, actually, the interview footage with the engineer because he talks about tracking Vinny Caliuta and stuff yep. like that. Um, mine was my pick of the week probably f- about a month ago. And I know we get new listeners all the time. And this really has been an important thing for me. So it is, and this is one of the few mics that I didn't reach out to Audio Technica to have them send me. I bought it myself on Amazon or maybe B and H, and it's the Audio Technica AT eighty twenty four eight zero two four, and that's a stereo mono camera mount microphone. It just mounts to the top of the little shoe mount at the top of your DSLR, plugs right into the mic input, and you get fantastic sounds. And it has saved me so much hassle to finally be able to talk to my camera without having to have a lav mic on or anything like that. And it also doubles as a fantastic worst-case scenario drum mic. Like, I can record the kit. It's got a negative 10 dB switch on it and a negative 20 dB switch, so I can put it right by the drum set, record the whole drum set, and it it won't clip at all, and it sounds fantastic. And it's 250 bucks. So it's the Audio-Technica AT8024 Stereo Mono. Uh, and, it has, and the reason it's called Stereo Mono camera mount microphone is because it actually has a stereo mono switch so if you know it's going straight to instagram don't even bother recording in stereo they're gonna bounce it down to mono anyway so there you go how much is it 
$249 on bnhphoto.com or bhphoto.com. Um, so I don't remember if I got it from there. Um, and I and I actually was going to – I'll probably try to do this by next week, but I'm going to reach out to Audio-Technica and ask them, okay, now that I'm doing this so much, I bought this on my own because I didn't think I would ever talk about it or anything. But do I have the best thing for this or do mm-hmm. you make more versions of this? Um, and would I, And I'd love to know, like, is there a $1,000 version of this and would I notice any real difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so – but I but I really, really like it a lot. It's It's, it's been – quite fun to use and it's definitely something that i would tell everyone to keep in their camera bag and it's powered by a single double a battery so nice keep a couple you know you don't have to like charge it or anything so all right everybody that is our podcast for the week thank you guys so much for listening and our outro groove is from somebody that i think came from ireland to take a lesson with me at the drum lab like 12 years ago no kidding <laughs> i'm pretty sure i hope he writes into you to tell you but this is did you watch the video of him tracking this yeah so he recorded this in a in a bus in a van in a van so he's got a studio in his van he drives around Thing. the beach and and plays drums <laughs> and tracks people apparently yeah. but dude he, he went in man so this is mike mike tingle When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.